Good morning and welcome to another mini Monday episode of Crime Over Coffee. I'm your editor, Bryce. And I'm one of your hosts, Erica. Today we're going to be doing something a little bit different and we're going to be diving into a condition that is pretty well known and pops up a lot in cases of hostage situations and kidnappings. And many of you probably know it as Stockholm Syndrome. So we're going to be diving deep into the origination of the term, where it came from, and one of the most common cases involving it. So pour yourself a strong cup of joe, and let's dive in. For those of you that don't know, Stockholm Syndrome is, by definition, an emotional attachment to a captor formed by a hostage as a result of continuous stress, dependence, and a need to cooperate for survival. Stockholm Syndrome originated in August of 1973 when four employees that were working at a bank in Stockholm, Sweden, were held hostage by two men. These employees were actually kept in the vaults of the bank for six days. And over the course of the time that they were there, they developed this weird attachment to their captors. And the captors' names were Jane Eric Olson and his fellow convict, Clark Olofsson. The victims came forward and said that they feared for their lives during the entire event, but they also formed a strong, sympathetic bond with their captors. And when the police showed up, it seemed as if the victims were siding with the captors and trying to kind of come up with an excuse for why they would have done what they did. And they weren't really like, let's arrest them because they just held us hostage for six days. The way you describe this immediately makes me think of, in a general sense, in any kind of relationship that might involve some sort of domestic violence or abuse, where the person that has been abused, when approached about it by family or friends or whoever, sometimes will instinctively come up with excuses of why perhaps the other person acted that way because they're in a relationship or they're good friends or whatever or they love each other whatever it might be so even though it seems like very strange behavior it's actually fairly common and as we'll get into there's there's a bit of psychology behind it and start to get a pattern as to when it shows up yeah that is a really good way to describe it for somebody that doesn't already know about it those situations where you feel empathetic towards your captor or your abuser. And that's how these four hostages were. When the police arrived, a standoff happened and the police were trying to rescue the victims. And once they rescued them, the hostages were hugging, kissing, and shaking hands with the people that had just held them hostage for six days. A psychiatrist studied this event and how the victims had this irrational attachment to the captors. And everybody was just really confused by this as how could you feel that way towards somebody that just did this to you? And this psychiatrist decided to coin the term Stockholm Syndrome as it happened in Stockholm, Sweden. I think the most surprising part of this is that it only occurred over the course of six days, where I think in a lot of relationships that have this, it's a bond that's been formed over many months or even years. And so that's a little bit more understandable. But just six days, that part seems really surprising. Yeah, I agree six days, but they do say that extreme stress can cause this to happen. And I feel like that's a very stressful situation and you're probably doing anything for survival at that point. 
So it's like the stress is a way of brute forcing the same effect that might naturally happen over a longer period of time. Correct. The FBI's hostage barricade database system states that about 8% of victims actually show signs of this syndrome. So we're going to take a quick break to tell you about one of our sponsors, and then we'll be back with a well-known example of Stockholm Syndrome. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. On February 4th, 1974, 19-year-old Patty Hurst, who was an heiress, she was at home with her fiancé, Stephen Weed, in California. And around 9 o'clock that night, there was a knock on the door. And they opened the door, and three armed men came busting through the door and attacked Stephen Weed and took Patty out of the apartment while she was screaming. They just drug her away and put her in the trunk of their car and drove off. This was a kidnapping that made international headlines and there were reporters that were camped in front of the Hearst family San Francisco mansion and it was a highly publicized case. Everybody knew about it and they were doing everything they could to try and rescue Patty Hearst. Two days after the kidnapping, the radio station KPFA received a letter from a left-wing guerrilla group known as the Symbionese Liberation Army, or the SLA. The letter included Patty's credit card and a threat to kill anyone that came for her to try to rescue her. They also said that any communication that they would send through, whether it be audio or video, the radio station had to broadcast it. So the first broadcast came on February 12th, and it was a recording of Patty Hearst telling her family that she was fine, she wasn't being beaten or starved, and she was being taken care of in this situation, and that she didn't want the police to come and look for her. The belief behind why she was kidnapped by the SLA was the leader, Marshall Clinique, whose real name was Daniel DeFries, had extorted $2 million from Patty's father. And that was for food aid for the poor. And then they, he asked for an additional $4 million more. And Patty's father said that he just couldn't afford it and that he wasn't going to be able to give them the additional money that they were asking for. And this was something that just made him really mad. It was money that he felt that they needed and they were going to try to put it back to good use. And that $4 million is about $19.2 million in today's money. Two months after the abduction, they receive another broadcast from Patty and she sent a tape declaring her allegiance to the SLA, saying that they gave her the option to either be released 
or for her to join the SLA, but she decided that she was going to stay and fight with them. In the middle of April 1974, there was a bank robbery that took place in San Francisco that the SLA was involved in. The surveillance video actually shows Patty holding a rifle during this situation, which made the police believe that she had joined the SLA and she was just another criminal that needed to be taken down at this point. On May 16th, 1974, two SLA members tried to steal ammunition belt from a store in Los Angeles and they actually fled, but the authorities found them driving their white van, followed it to a safe house that they were staying at and police surrounded the house. There was a shootout, it was a big thing and it was actually live broadcasted and that was the first live broadcast of an unplanned event that had ever happened and this shootout ended with the house bursting into flames and six of the SLA members were killed in this fire one of those members being the leader Donald DeFreeze Patty Hearst, however, was not one of the members that was inside the home at the time of the fire. She was actually watching the live TV broadcast in a motel with two other members. However, in September of 1975, so about 19 months after Patty Hearst was kidnapped, the FBI captured her and she was tried in March of 1976 and convicted of armed bank robbery and other crimes. She was sentenced to seven years in prison. The jury said that they did not think that she had been brainwashed. They didn't think that she had Stockholm Syndrome and that she had just truly decided to join the SLA. So Bryce, what are your thoughts on that? This is actually reminding me of an episode we did a while back about Charles Starkweather and Carol Fugate, which was kind of a Bonnie and Clyde type situation where she was technically involved in the events, but was mostly, or at least it's it's thought that she was mostly involved for her own safety and well-being and not wanting to put up a fight or any sort of resistance and just kind of went along with it for mainly those reasons. So I think that Stockholm Syndrome could have very well been involved. I just think that there were probably other factors as well where she thought maybe it was just in her own best interest to do what she's told or whatever that might be. So I I think it could still very well have been at play here. And actually, President Jimmy Carter is right there with you. He decided that after she had served only 21 months, that he was just going to move the sentence to time served on the grounds that if she had not been kidnapped by the SLA, then she never would have been involved and never would have participated in any of the group's criminal acts. She was actually released in February 1979, and a couple of the SLA members that were captured with Patty actually pleaded guilty to the kidnapping of her. In 2001, President Bill Clinton actually granted Patty Hearst a full pardon of the crime as one of his last acts as president. Hopefully you all liked this different type of Monday mini-episode. If you did like it, and know of any other psychological conditions or syndromes that often occur in crime cases, please feel free to submit your ideas and possibly also suggest a case to be discussed alongside it. We would gladly talk about it in a future episode and give you a shout-out. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode.
If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.